So over our, Diane and I's last 20 years of raising children, it's amazing to me. I look back, man, I've, I've had kids for 20 years. Oh, that's where this gray hair has come from. Um, but I look back and think, you know, I think we've done a lot of things that were right, that were good. Uh, I think, of course, just like any other parent, I, I know we've made some mistakes and, you know, probably frustrated our kids some and been frustrated with them. And, you know, I just try to recently started looking back and thinking about all those times. And one thing I know for sure, and that is that the entire time we've had children, we believe in them. Uh, we believe in our kids. I believe that they can be uh, what they were born to be. I believe that they can grow up to accomplish the things that God has placed in their lives or that God has for their lives. And that's never changed. We, we were really good about telling our kids all along, hey, I love you, and nothing is ever going to change that. So I feel like we did good at that. But I think there's something that maybe we kind of fell short of a little bit. Um, I think that maybe sometimes my kids got so much direction and correction and, hey, mm, we need to do this instead and, oh, my gosh, what the heck were you thinking? You know, they got all of those things and I might have forgotten to let them know how much we believed in them. Uh, we always did. And my, my youngest actually is sitting here on the front row. Stand up here, kid. <laughs> He's a little bit bigger than me. <laughs> uh, this is our, our youngest one. He's 17. And so just in front of everybody, in case we, Diane and I, in case I have failed, I want you to know Kevin. His name's Kevin. Uh, he is single, but not, not looking. Um, uh, kiddo, I believe in you. I always have, and I always will. And it's going to choke me up, but I love you, buddy. I believe in you with all of my heart. Nothing is going to change that. Uh, and I'm afraid that I haven't always given them that. Uh, I, I'm afraid we haven't. And, you know, I can look back and I can work on it now. But I think that if you don't show that to your, your kids, maybe the people that are around you, I, look, I've been, I am really good at something. I'm good at telling my wife, Diana, maybe I should go over there and give her a hug to you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm really good at telling her, hey, um, we need to uh, make this part of the, the music louder or this went too long or y'all got to change this or, or I'm, I'm really good about that. I'm good at fixing things and telling people where they need to make it better. And, and I mean it with the best intentions, but if I forget to also say, no, I believe in you. You're doing a great job. I, I'm with you. I'm supporting you. It almost feels like that part doesn't exist. What happens is this, I think, with our kids, people that we are responsible for, maybe we lead in life, I think they start to feel like, well, they're always telling me where I don't measure up and where I mess up and how, how you know, short I'm falling, but I, I'm not so sure that they really believe in me. All I get is, you know, you're never doing it good enough. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe you felt like that. And you may very well believe in people, or people may very well believe in you, but if we don't show it, again, I, I'm not so sure we even think it's there. And I think that there's something even worse. I feel like 
if that's true of me and my kids and me and other people who, who I'm around, I'm betting, I'm betting that a lot of us feel this way about God. Well, all I hear from my, 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 my uh, Christian churchy people is how I need to change this and I need to fix that. I need to stop doing this and, and this is what's wrong. And they may be 100% right. All those things may be true. We may need to change that and stop this and do that. Those might be true, but I think sometimes we may think that that's all God is, is trying to correct me and tell me where I've fallen short and that I'm not gonna measure up and um, I think it's a flaw. I think it's a flaw in our society. It probably, in, it's probably been all going forever because I bet you I know who's in charge of it, uh, making people feel that way. And um, I don't want us to feel that way about God. I know God loves us, and I want you to know today that God loves you. He cares about you, but He also believes in you. And if you find yourself in life feeling that you're not so sure about that, probably you feel kind of like a loser. And maybe coming to church today was like your last-ditch effort to try to do something right. Can I put all of that maybe into one word when we're feeling that way? And we have that view of things. It makes us feel alone. I've seen this throughout my career as a pastor. When I was in uh, West Texas in the town of Leveland, that's Go to Lubbock and a little further and fall off the earth. That's where level land is. Anyway, out there, we uh, pastored a church for six years. And there was a gal there who personified what Chad's talking about today. Her name was Cindy. And on the outside, she seemed to have it all together. She was an attractive, bright, intelligent gal. Uh, People liked her. And uh, she had a good job. She had a great husband. He had a good job. I mean, life on the surface looked good, but it wasn't. In her heart, she was miserable. She, she felt so inadequate and frustrated. She, she wasn't happy with her life. She wasn't happy with her relationship with God. It, it was, it was kind of ugly when she began to share that with me as her pastor. She struggled with never feeling like she was good enough for God. So the question that we're going to start with today is, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel kind of what I'm describing, what Ed's describing? Does it seem like you get a whole lot of direction and a whole lot of correction, but not a lot of confidence in you? And I'm talking specifically about from God. Now, we, God hasn't made a mistake, but I think sometimes we filter it through that, that type of lens in our mind. Have you ever fallen into the thought of, well, I guess I'm not as good as they are. I'm not as capable as they are of doing these things, so I'll just kind of shy away from what maybe I could be doing because I'm not going to, I've never amounted to anything anyway, so why waste anybody's time? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like I'm just doing this on my own? And, and you look towards the coming year, I mean, here we are, 2019 is just around the corner, and man, that... Look at it and see, man, there's a lot of good stuff, but oh gosh, there's some bad things that I'm probably going to have to face. And there's some easy things that I, I, think I, can, I think I can manage and I can conquer those things, but then there's some things that are hard. I'm not so sure that I can, I can do that. Have you ever felt like what, ahead, what is ahead of you is too much for you to handle? If you have, 
And if, you're, if you are relating to and you're, and you're with me on what I'm talking about this morning, I want you to know there's more than one, but today we're going to talk about a guy in the Bible who probably felt the same way. We're going to look in the Old Testament book of Judges, and this time period took place about 3,000 years ago, about 1100 B.C., and at that time, the nation of Israel was comprised of these different clans and tribes, and they were ruled not by a king over the whole country, but by judges around the country. And the problem was, for about 200 years, Israel was constantly attacked and occupied and oppressed by foreign countries. It's like different countries would just take their turn. And so what you see over and over again in this book of Judges is bad guys come in, really make life miserable for Israel, but then God raises up a judge to lead them to a military victory to set them free again. So this goes back and forth, back and forth. Samson is uh, one of those judges. And uh, there's a Netflix movie I saw, by the way, with Samson. It's pretty good. We've got to finish it to be sure, but it was pretty good. Well, that's this time period, okay? Well, where we are today specifically is the country of Midian is oppressing Israel. The Midianites are the bad guys, okay? And the judge that God's going to raise up in this situation is named Gideon. Let's look at the story, Judges chapter 6. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezer. And so that phrase there, the angel of the Lord, that's important to get. That's this phrase that's used often in the Old Testament that describes this strange, mysterious, and yet very real appearance of God on the scene. This is God coming and speaking with Gideon. You'll see that more and more clearly as we go on. So then, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grains from the Midianites. So here's the deal. Typically in that culture, when you had the wheat harvest come in, you had these big stalks and all the wheat on them, you would go up on the top of a hill where the wind was blowing, and you'd stomp on the wheat and, and separate the seeds and all the rest of that junk called the chaff would float away when you lifted the sheet and just kind of flipped it, and the wind would blow the chaff away, and you just have the wheat sitting there. So that was the normal way that they harvested their wheat and got it ready to crush and make it into bread. Well, the problem was they're oppressed by the Midianites, and so if you're up on the hill, they'll see you, and they'll come take your wheat away. And so everything they did, they were fearful, their crops, their livestock, everything. So we see that Gideon, instead of on the top of a hill... He's in a wine press. So now picture a, a pit, a big circular pit that's about five or six feet deep that's hidden. And it was meant to throw grapes in and people would jump in and press them with their feet and, and make wine out of it. But he was hiding from the Midianites. So I can just see him down there with his wheat kind of whacking it, looking around, tossing up the chaff just a little bit. So that's the context here. And Gideon is not a strong, brave guy. But look what now the angel of the Lord says to Gideon. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Gideon just still isn't getting it. 
Gideon says, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So God is saying, you're a mighty hero. And he's saying, not feeling it, God. I mean, this, it, it, look at me. I'm here hiding in this wine press, hoping the Midianites don't steal my wheat. I, I feel like nothing, nothing like the hero. My, my family's the weakest in my whole uh, tribe, and I'm the bottom of the totem pole. He's probably the baby of the family. And so he's saying, no, no. And then that phrase, I can just imagine him thinking that phrase, go with the strength you have. And here he is hiding. I mean, just the, the contrast, I can imagine him thinking, strength? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. So let's see how God responds to his uh, pushing back and his resistance. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. God just says to him, you don't get it, Gideon. Yeah, you, you may be all that. But I'm going to be with you. I will be with you. And you're going to beat them just like one guy beats one other guy in a fist fight. It's going to be that easy for you. And so uh, as the story goes on, we're kind of jumping forward here in just a moment. But as the story goes forward, Gideon does what God wants him to do. He amasses an army, and he has about 32,000 guys, soldiers in his army. But Midian's army is significantly bigger. So imagine about Matagorda County-ish amount of people. That's about Gideon's army size, give or take a few. Well, the the Midian army, they were 100,000 plus. So now three times the size of Matagorda County. And so if you get those pictures in your mind of those amounts, let's let's take a look at what Gideon did, and let's take a look at what God did. And we're going to pick back up here in Judges chapter 7, Starting in verse 1, so Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors. Like, I'd be thinking, you've got to be kidding me. you got too many more warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid, or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home. All of Bay City left, (laughs) plus a few more. All of them left the army. He's left with only 10,000 willing to fight. If I were Gideon about that time, I would start, I'd be dripping a little bit of sweat, thinking, well, I had 32,000, you know, three to one. Okay, maybe we could take them. But now I'm down to 10. Um, that's, I don't, I don't understand, God. I mean, I would be having this conversation. He would have to be explaining to me like I'm somebody important. But Gideon was. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. So he's, he's down two-thirds. Now there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the, wa- to the water, that had to be like a massive scene. 10,000, you know, soldiers spread out drinking water. It's a lot. Divide them into two groups, God told him. In one group, put all those who cup the water in their hands and and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. Put them in one group. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. 
Only 300 did this and drank with their hands. And all the others got down on their knees and they drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300, I will rescue you and give you victory over those Midianites. Send everybody else home. All right, so now we started out with Matagorda County worth of people. And then all of Bay City left them and there's just a few more. Now picture the army is about as many people as fit in this room. All of y'all. And add one more person. <laughs> um, they were going up against an army of 100,000 plus. That's the odds that he's now facing. That's what he's now looking at. Um, again, sweat. I'd be worried. So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram's horns and, and other warriors, and, and he sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. Then he did something. And, and I can only imagine that God, he was talking to God about this. I can only imagine that, because I would not, this is not how I would have done it. No way, no how. I'd have been looking for, all right, everybody, you got an AR? <laughs> and uh, we're going to set you, you know, that's what I'd have been doing, but that's, that's not what he did. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, just do as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp. Blow the horns all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord, for the Lord and for Gideon. So here we go. Here's what we're going to do, all of you people in this room. We're going to go fight 100,000 people. And you've got a jar, you've got a torch, you've got a, a ram's horn. I uh, hope you've been warming up your lips. And um, we're going to go, like, shout at these people. And we're going to blow our horns at them. We're going to break some pots. And we're going to win the day. Let's go. Well, that's, this is the scene. This is what's happening. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their rights. No swords. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites, 100,000 plus, rushed around in panic. These guys down there below were freaking out. They shouted as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. The Midianite army attacked itself. And those that didn't die right then and right there in front of them, Gideon took his 300 men. They chased them down and killed them. So this 300 men, they took down over 100,000 soldiers. That's a pretty big feat. For a guy who at the beginning of the story was hiding, you know, cowering down and saying, you know, listen, my family is like the lowest of the low in Matagorda County. We, we are the trashiest people here, and I am the least of all of them. I've been in jail six times in the last month. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but um, <laughs> he's like, I'm the worst of them all. And now, fast forward just a little bit, and here he is leading this entire little, I asked, little room filled with the army, and they're killing and destroying 100,000 plus. Most of the work that Gideon did was this. He simply believed what God was telling him. That was most of the work. He just simply believed what God said, and he did the small things that God asked. 
Okay, get a little pot, get a little torch. Like really, you know, instead of, he did it. Get you a ram's horn, oil it up, get it ready to go. Well, he did it. When it was all said and done, he did those small things. He believed in God, and God did most of the work for him. So what, what can we take from this story for our lives today? Well, we want to think about 2019 coming up, and we're at the start of this time of the year, and I feel like God wants to remind all of us that it's not about us. No matter what you've done or not done, no matter who you are or who you aren't, who your family is or isn't, whether you have a ton of friends and a crew that you run them with or you're alone, that doesn't matter. What matters is that we want you to know that we believe in you at Ignite Church, and more importantly, God believes in you. God believes in you. It's been said that God's commandments are his enablements. Chew on that a second. Let me repeat it. God's commandments are his enablements. When he commanded Gideon to do it, he was going to empower him to do it, and of course it worked. So when God commands us to do anything, he is empowering us to do that very thing. So God called Gideon a mighty hero, not because of his experience or his greatness as a soldier. I mean, you know, he was a chicken <laughs> hiding out. God called him that because of what God himself planned to do through the life of Gideon. Jesus gave us a similar promise. Look at it here from Matthew chapter 28. This was one of the last things Jesus said to the disciples after his resurrection before he ascended back to heaven to be with the Father. Jesus said, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you. What did God say to Gideon? Go, because I will be with you. Same God, same heart for me and you. He will be with us. So you're not alone. God believes in you. He always will. His commands, his plans for your life are his enablements. He will empower you to do whatever he wants you to do this coming year. He really wants to convince us of that today. There's one scripture that sums this up that I want to read, one of my favorite scriptures. It's not in your notes. You might want to make a note of the reference. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Apostle Paul is writing to some friends in the city of Philippi, and he's talking about a number of things, but he's talking about himself, and then he says, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a confident statement. The confidence is in Christ who strengthens me, but Paul is asserting it that I can do all things. Looking forward into uh, 2019 and during all of 2019, we want you to remember something. We want you to remember that God believes in you. No matter what anybody's told you, no matter how many times you have failed, and you've, you know that one thing that you did and you told God you were never going to do it again, and then you did it again five minutes later, and then the next day, um, even if that, you know, you, that thing, even if that type of thing is in your life, I want you to know God believes in you, and he knows that you can be everything you were born to be because he's with you. And he's got everything it takes. He will do the fighting for you. God believes in you. 
uh, that, that's a huge thing we want you to remember. Now, I want you to watch something, and let me set it up for you. Um, this is one of my favorite movies. But we're not going to watch the whole thing, but uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's a story of a guy. It's, he's, it's about revenge, and he got falsely accused of something and thrown into prison. He was innocent. While he's in there, he makes friends with, a, with an older guy, quite a bit older, and this guy kind of takes him under his wing and trains him and teaches him stuff, you know. And what we're, at, what we're about to watch, they're at a part in the, in the story where the old guy's dying. He's going down, and he's giving some really solid advice to, 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 to this other man. He, he's giving him some things that can help him in his life. So I want you to listen very very carefully and kind of place this as something in your mind that you remember from now on. Let's take a look. Oh, Oberlin. When I told them I did not know what the treasure of Sparta was, I lied. You lied? I'm a priest, not a saint. Bill, on their island off the Italian coast. Once crystal. Yes. Use, use your head. Follow the clue. The tunnel's blocked. I can't escape. Keep digging. When you escape, use it for good. Only for good. No, I will surely use it for my revenge. You know, it's your final lesson. Do not commit... Do not commit the crime for which you know serve the sentence. God sent vengeance is mine. I don't believe in God. It doesn't matter. He believes in you. So the, the, the guy says, I, I, don't, I don't believe in God. And, and his dying breath, the, the, the old man says, doesn't matter. God believes in you. I, I wish I would have wrote that movie. Uh, I just I love I love that scene. And when when you're struggling through this next year to believe that you're worth something and that that God believes in you and that you can move forward, I want you to come back to this silly little video clip that you saw in church on a Sunday morning at the end of 2018 and say, wait a minute. God believes in me. Remember that God believes in you when you feel like the least of your family when you feel like your, your family is all falling apart and like nobody's ever amounted to anything, remember that God believes in you. Remember the story of Gideon. When, when life is confusing this, next, this coming year, because you know it's going to get confusing some, remember that God believes in you. Um, when your kids need your help and you got no clue what to do about it, remember that God believes in you. He's with you. He's going to help you make it through. When, uh, when God asks you to invest your time and invest your money and invest your skills in, in church, in the community, in, in, in somebody's life, when God asks you to do that, remember that God believes in you. And he knows that if you do the little things he's asking you to do, you're going to win the day. You're, you'd be having like that little 300-men army that destroys over 100,000. When you look at what you're going to face this year, the, the good or bad, the difficult or the easy, the, the, you know, the stuff that you, you look forward to and the stuff that you, man, I just hope that you know, holds off a little longer, 
remember that God believes in you. So I want to ask you to do one more th- one thing. Uh, you know, look at the person that you're sitting next to. Uh, I don't care if they're pretty or ugly or whether you like them or not. We have no ugly people. No, no ugly people here. Well, <laughs> there might be one up here on the stage. Um, look at the person sitting next to you and, and just with all of your heart, and, and I, I need to hear you, tell them God believes in you. God believes in you. When, when your year starts to get rough or the day starts to get rough, remember that God believes in you. He's going to be with you. You can't lose when you're with him. I want you to accept something. I want you to accept that while God does have high standards, uh, we, you, we've got high standards for our children. We started off talking about that. I, I expect some high standards from them, and, and that's true. At the same time, God will empower you to accomplish the great things and help you reach those standards. He's going to help you make it. Remember, God believes in you. I want to go back to my friend Cindy. So as I got to know her as her pastor, she began to to tell me how unhappy she was and frustrated she was with herself, her relationship with God, and pretty much all of life. And it was surprising at first because on the outside, again, she just seemed to have it all going on. Well, as we began to talk, and over the, uh, really, the years I was there as her pastor, and we were in the Word and studying the Bible, her life began to change significantly. She started to smile a whole lot more, and her attitude changed from negative and always self-condemning and self-deprecating. Her attitude changed from that to positive and confident, and I believe it's because she learned some things. Here's a few things Cindy learned that made a huge difference. She learned that she didn't have to perform to please God. We don't have to perform to please God because nobody can. None of us can perform well enough to please God. Jesus was the only one who could please God, and he came and he did that. He lived a perfect, sinless life for you and me, then died for our sins because we couldn't be good enough for God. And as Cindy began to learn that and that this performance mentality was was controlling her life, it began to make a big difference. It began to set her free. She began to learn that she was God's daughter and had his unconditional love and support. Would God correct her when she needed? Of course. But she began to get a handle on the fact that God loves me. He's for me. She began to realize that God had her back. He was in her life, and he himself would do the performing that was needed in her life. So I want you to just kind of take a breath for a second. And think ahead a year. We got 2019 coming, and no telling what all's coming in our lives. I doubt for anybody it'll be all perfect and good or all horrible and bad. It's usually a mix, isn't it? Well, I want you to think ahead, and I want you just to listen like God's speaking to you right now, okay? You're thinking ahead, and God's talking to you, and he says, I believe in you. I always have. I always will. I believe in you as my son or my daughter that Jesus died to save. I believe in you with the passions and dreams I've put into your heart, with the integrity and holiness that you walk in because of me. I believe in you and the purpose that I designed you for. God has things in mind for each one of us in this room in 2019. And the challenge is, God, is this really you calling me? Gideon was like, I don't think so, but God convinced him. God wants to do the same for us. He has some things He wants to do through you, people to impact, things to accomplish. And he's saying, 
what Jesus also said. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Y'all stand. We're so glad you chose to spend the morning here, and we want to pray for you. And before we do, I want to say two things. First, we'll have prayer teams up here near the stage to pray with you about anything in your life. And also, remember to give online, on the app, or at the boxes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for this amazing story of Gideon. You took a man who really was acting like a coward, and you called him a hero. And then you made him just that. It just amazes us. And Lord, I, I thank you that, uh, well, because Gideon qualified, we do too. We, we are weak and helpless and don't know what to do, but you say, I will be with you. So Lord, today as we're pausing just to think about the year ahead of us, would you just drill this down deep in our heart and our mind that you will be with us, you will guide us, and you will empower us to move forward, no matter how big the challenge is, if it's from you, Lord, you're going to supply the power and enable us to do what we need to do. Lord, I pray you bless these folks. Give them a great week. Help them realize you are with them always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.